0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive?
0: What do you think the team still needs in order to be
2: successful? Me? Uh, <laughs> I, I was about to say, that's a question for these guys. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the player here, so I just, I got to focus on, uh, you know, the guys that we do have and just continue to, to to build those guys up and continue to work as hard as we can to be a great team. And I trust these guys to make those decisions. Appreciate it.
1: They made a big decision this week to keep the guy in the middle around Geno Smith with a three-year contract that can be as little as one year, $28 million. Shades of Derek Carr. See what happens in 2023 and maybe move on in 2024. I think we're going to see... More and more deals like that when you don't have a true franchise quarterback. Shorter term looks good in the initial report, but when you start digging into the details, it gives the team flexibility. We've got some flexibility over the next two hours. We can talk about pretty much whatever we want. This is one of those days where there's a lot of little things, not one really huge thing hovering. And of course, Peter King, as I say that, it probably guarantees we're just minutes away from a tweet that Aaron Rodgers has agreed to be traded to the Jets.
3: I would really enjoy that, Mike, because as I woke up this morning, I said to myself, I have absolutely nothing for my column on Monday.
1: <laughs> and and I, I just said, listen, I need a resolution.
3: I don't really care what the resolution is. I need a resolution on Aaron Rodgers by like 6 p.m. Saturday. Can you see what you can do? Because, Mike, I'll like, see what I, I know... I know if you just called your good friend Aaron Rodgers, and you said, "Listen, you know, I, I I'm calling to give you some very friendly advice. Emphasis on friendly. That I know he would just listen to you and do whatever you said because he just has the highest amount of respect for you. Well, actually, I think you like what Mike Floyd. Don't, then you don't is waste your
1: time would...
0: reading uh, reading crap like that.
1: Was <laughs> that really necessary? <laughs> control room <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> by by the way, by the way, I, I, I must mention this. Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins coach, was very impressed at the speed with which the control room can access past video because we were talking about his first real day at work home game, season opener, how he was fumbling to lock his car. And up came the video in the monitor when we were in Indian- Indianapolis. And he was <laughs> he was uh, both, both impressed and dismayed by the fact that they can push the buttons and get that stuff onto the screen as quickly as possible. But I, I think the right approach would be for me to get word to Aaron Rodgers that he should definitely stay with the Packers. He should definitely not go to the Jets. He should not entertain a trade anywhere. That would be the thing, I think, that would finally – get this done, and make him a member of the Jets. We're going to talk about Rodgers coming up. We've spent a lot of time this week talking about him. And frankly, Peter, before, before we move on to other topics, I really do feel like the horse is out of the barn on this. I mean, a year ago, we knew he was staying with the Packers. The mere fact that the Packers, who hung the phone up on the 49ers two years ago when the 49ers wanted to possibly trade for him, the fact that this has gotten to where it is, it kind of tells us that he isn't going back to Green Bay and that the right. Green Bay doesn't really want him to come back in 2023.
3: Well, what it tells us is Green Bay wants to play the other quarterback, wants to play Jordan Love. And as someone told me uh, at the Combine, who I trust, who has some tributaries into the Green Bay Packers, I'll tell you one thing. They're both not going to be back. Only one of those guys is going to be back. I I feel pretty confident in that. And I think the one that they want, honestly, it is just absolutely amazing to me, beyond amazing, that 15 years ago, this week, Aaron Rodgers inherited the starting quarterback job of the Green Bay Packers. And if he agrees today, tomorrow, whatever, to a deal to become the quarterback of the New York Jets, I don't, you cannot think of one time in NFL history, in the 104-year history of the National Football League, that history has repeated itself the way it has, all the way down to the same week, 15 years ago, that Brett Favre ceded the job to Aaron Rodgers, Now, 15 years later, if Rodgers goes, it will be Aaron Rodgers ceding the job to Jordan Love. Brett Favre going to play for the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers going to play for the New York Jets. How ridiculously, bizarrely, weirdly perfect is that, Mike Florio?
1: Oh, you're absolutely right, Peter. And I said earlier this week, without delving into too many details, there is a point at which it would be very wise for Aaron Rodgers to deviate from the Brett Favre career path, especially once he becomes a member of the Jets. There are certain things that transpired that maybe Rodgers
3: <laughs>
1: go the other direction and yeah. separate from from the things Brett Favre actually or allegedly did. I, I can't remember all the details. And I don't want to get added to the Pat McAfee, Shannon Sharp defamation lawsuit. So I'll just defer to the historical record. Whatever was proven, whatever was admitted, whatever was alleged, those things happened in 2008 and came to light in 2010, which, frankly, at the time, it was the biggest story in the NFL by far when it happened. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can just go ahead and Google well, just go ahead. You'll find it. You don't, need any, you don't need any search terms suggested by me this morning. You'll find it. All right. Uh, if you would search Matthew Stafford trade in Google, Peter, you would definitely get some results that take us back two years to when the Rams swapped Jared Goff, two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Matthew Stafford. But you would also get some more recent Items speculating on the possibility of the Rams retrading Matthew Stafford after only two seasons. Here's general manager Les Snead from Thursday talking about the question of whether or not Stafford definitely will be the team's starting quarterback in 2023.
0: We're going to definitely rely on uh, Matthew. He's definitely one of our pillars. So uh, with that being said, I, I think... As we, as I said, step one of this thing is is getting under the cap. Unfortunately, to get under the cap, that usually means you know trying to uh, figure out. It usually means deletion, right, with uh, some of your better veteran players who are making higher salaries, and and it can also mean maybe there's an unrestricted free agent or two or three or four that you can't necessarily re-sign to get under the cap. But there are some players. Uh, that have been here, that have done that, uh, that have shown they can, uh, right, change the math in a football game. Matthew Stafford being one of them, unfortunately, last year, right, he went through a tough time with the injury. So, uh, right, the recency bias of last year's inconsistent for him other than the fact that uh, there was injuries and there was a lot of injuries around him. But he's definitely someone we're going to rely on and we're going to have to rely on. As we do uh, remodel
1: this, that's a new twist on rebuild, regroup, reload, remodel. remodel. I like that. I like that. And, you know, the problem is, Peter, last year the injuries from Matthew Stafford predated the commencement of the season. Because of injuries from 2021, he couldn't throw. He couldn't participate in the off-season program. There were issues that hovered over the team in training camp, and then all of a sudden it just kind of went away. But you throw in a bad offensive line, not nearly as good as it was the prior year. guy who's not fleet of foot gets banged up, and there are questions about the long-term durability, availability, and also willingness of the Rams to keep Matthew Stafford around. The problem is the way his contract is structured – I mean, they really can't do anything. He's got $57 million that becomes fully guaranteed next week. But if they try to trade him, they're looking at a $48 million cap acceleration for 2023. Now, they already have $12 million that counts under the $60 million signing bonus he got last year, but it's another $36 million that hits this year if they trade him before June 1. And... I can't imagine them trading him after June 1. And based upon what Snead said yesterday, it looks like they're not going to trade him at all. But, you know, they, 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 they got so drunk on their success in 2021 and they started handing out all these big contracts. They've really got their hands tied, Peter, on multiple guys that even if they did want a fresh start at quarterback, even if they really are concerned that Stafford's never going to be consistently healthy. And it's time to move on. They just can't. They just can't without doing serious
3: damage to their salary cap. And plus, Mike, I don't think right now that Sean McVay, when he looks at A, the quarterback market, and B, his own team, I just simply don't think he sees an alternative that can make his team remotely competitive other this year 2023 and Sean McVay is not going not going to go through another 5 and 12 season. He's not doing that. And so I think he knows that there is a, a line in the sand right now and it's going to be very very difficult to cross the line be, which is between an also ran and a significant contender. But the only way they have a chance to get to significant contender status is if they have Matthew Stafford. There's no other quarterback that they can get financially or otherwise. They can't say, "Hey, let's get rid of uh, Matthew Stafford and go get Jimmy Garoppolo." It, it, even that would be ridiculously prohibitively expensive. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo probably, I would think, at the at its at its base. He's going to be a, a $30 million player in this market for someone. So there's no way the Rams could even get involved in that. I don't think they want Baker Mayfield except as an insurance policy, even though there was that moment, you know, one of the, one of the coolest moments of any recent NFL season, the Thursday night game where after about six minutes of practice, he went out and beat the Raiders on Thursday night football with an incredible final drive. But they're they've whatever it is they're going to say, and I do think they legitimately still like Matthew Stafford. He's their guy this year, so it's almost fruitless to talk about it. Well, it, it
1: I agree with you. There's nothing they can do at this point. And even if they could manage the cap hit, think about what they would have gotten out of Stafford and what they would have given up to get him two ones in a three and Jared Goff, which at the time was, please save us from Jared Goff. The thinking in right. some circles is they gave up an extra first round pick just to unload the awful contract they gave him. But Peter, this is just the latest example of this string of bad contracts. The Rams do, they really do some bad contracts. And I'm looking at Stafford's numbers for next year. Let's say that they give him one more year. Let's say it doesn't work again this year and they want to change next year. Next year the pre-June one cap charge for trading him is fifty five point five million. So it doesn't get any yeah. better in twenty twenty four if they haven't gotten any better and they're ready to move on to someone else. So and his cap number goes from twenty million this year to forty nine five next year based upon the way this contract is structured. So uh, they, they've, they've put themselves into a, a spot here. And a lot of it is, and look, they knew when they traded for Matthew Stafford they were going to have to give him another contract at some point, but they gave him one hell of a contract. And now the salary cap chickens have come home to roost for the L.A. Rams. And they're just in a weird spot right now. Sneed also said, Peter, that they're not going to trade Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald. But you've got other guys like Jalen Ramsey, who seems destined to be on the way out the door, Leonard Floyd. Wal- Alan Rock. Robinson. It real, yeah. yeah, it really is a team that's in a weird sort of flux. And I still can't recall. And yes, they have a brand new, relatively speaking, Super Bowl trophy to make up for it. But still, that price came due dramatically and steeper than I think any Super Bowl champion has ever had to pay it. This is the backside of FM picks, and this remodel—they're uh, going to—they have to gut the house
3: as part of this remodel that Sneed referred to. I think what you're going to see the Rams do, Mike. Okay, so um, talking to people at the scouting combine, this is the this is the very strong impression I got, and I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and then found out a little bit more. At the Combine. So the Rams right now have the 36th pick in the draft. And I believe they will not use that 36th pick in the draft. I believe they will use that pick to basically turn it into three picks. Let's say, and I'm totally inventing this, 60, 95, and 180. Okay? But I think... The reason why you're going to see that is the Rams believe you remember Ernest Jones, the quarterback who made, or the linebacker rather, who made some big plays against quarterback Joe Burrow in the second half of the Super Bowl. And really, until Bobby Wagner got there a year ago, was a rising star inside linebacker in the NFL and will continue that trajectory this year with the departure of Bobby Wagner. Well, He was a fifth-round draft pick, and I believe that the Rams think, along with guys lower picks, third-day picks like Nick Scott, the safety, they are going to go all in on day three picks and maybe even low day two picks because as of right now, Mike, if you look at where the Rams are, they've got nine picks in the last 100 of this draft. And I believe they're going to have more. And next year, they're going to have even more uh, draft choices. And I project over these two drafts, they'll have about 25 picks. Now, look, we all know they don't all make the team. But the Rams have changed and are in the process of changing their overall organizational philosophy. Because most likely a year from now, Aaron Donald will be retired Cooper Cup will keep playing, but you know, the, the the great players will keep marching out the door. And what they're going to do is need that scouting department, need it desperately to hit on, let's say, eight to ten of these players over these next two drafts to come in and be immediate contributors. That's their only path to contender again, at least with Matthew Stafford as quarterback. So pluck them picks
1: would be the yes, next T-shirt that's that is wearing. Yeah. Pluck, pluck. I said I pluck. Like that. No need to bleep in the UK uh, unless it's some obscure curse word there that I'm not aware of. And there are some random terms that that we use without any real thought that are indeed, as we have learned over the four years or so that we've been on Sky Sports, that uh, they are frowned upon in certain establishments in the UK. So, so. Peter, there is wisdom in this. And I answered this question yesterday on a radio spot in Seattle as it relates to the Bears trading down because I can see a scenario. We're going to talk about this coming up. I think the Bears could trade down one, two, three, four times in the top 10 and just keep compiling picks. And the idea is the more lottery tickets, and this is your Jimmy Johnson point you make from time to time, the more draft picks you have, the more scratch-offs you have, the more likely you are to get some winners. And when you know that these Bad contracts that you handed out in the euphoria that existed in the aftermath of winning the Super Bowl, you have to balance that out with low-cost, rookie-wage-scale contracts. That's the other side of this, Peter. All those picks, day two, day three, they come at a low cap charge. You're filling out your roster with guys who are not eating up cap space, and they won't until they get a second contract, if they ever do. So you get through three or four years starting this year and next year with these low cap number players, that's how you deal with a $55 million cap charge if you have to move on from Matthew Stafford after this year, or a $49 million cap charge if you keep him after this year. That's how you balance it out. That's how you construct your roster and stay under the cap and have enough players where you can go out and actually be competitive.
3: And I think that's exactly what they will do. I think they'll most likely hang on to Stafford for the next two years unless he's just ravaged by injury this year. But I also think the one thing that you have to watch out for is, you know, the Rams finally will have a first-round pick next year. And if you were the Rams right now and you have some way to have a high pick next year. There's going to be two excellent quarterbacks in the draft next year. You can do exactly what you did to get Jared Goff and or to to get all of these guys who, you know, and we're going to talk about the Bears later. If you have to trade up, you're going to have to trade probably two future ones in addition to this year's one to get that player. But the, the Rams now will at least be in position if they need to go get a quarterback to trade future ones um, next year at this time. They're not going to do it this year, but they'd be in position next year at this time to be able to trade up. And that is what I think the Rams have to think of doing. Look, there's no way if I am uh, Kevin Demoff, if I'm Stan Kroenke, if I'm, if I'm Les Sneed, you know there's no way I'm letting Sean McVay if he gets a bug up his rear end and says oh we have to have John Doe let's trade in back into the first round and trade next year's one to go and get whoever is th- the player they fancy no 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 a thousand times no do not touch next year's draft you know because that's a draft where the Rams really could need it to move up to get a quarterback Well,
1: especially if there's any belief in the organization that McVeigh may bolt after 2023, and why wouldn't there be? He almost did after 2022. He was on the brink, the precipice. He was ready to go, and we've talked about that at length, what turned him around, but he's on a year-to-year arrangement right now, and if they suffer through another bad year, when you look at the item from The Athletic from a couple of weeks ago where he was basically despondent In 2022, he may not want to tolerate that again. Yes, and he may say, "I'm done. I'm out." So, so if he's got that mindset now, where maybe I'll be gone next year, it's a lot easier to say, "Who cares about next year's first round pick if it gets me somebody who makes me not
3: despondent in 2023?" Mike, after reading Jordan Rodriguez's story in the Athletic, which was tremendous, after reading that story, I I thought of two things. Number one. So Sean McVay basically has gone to this team twice now and said, you know, I really need something, okay? The first time was, I really need another quarterback. I've lost trust in Jared Goff. So they went out and they got Matthew Stafford at a very big price. However, for all those who say, oh my God, what a mistake that was. Listen, they got a a Lombardi out of it. So no matter what right. happens, and even if they hit rock bottom in the next two or three years, which they might, even if they absolutely hit rock bottom, to me, a Super Bowl is worth it. And a lot of people might say, no, 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 I don't think it is. I do. And I think most people in the NFL do. So there's, that's the one time. And then this year, kind of a quieter way, he's very unhappy with his coaching staff. And there was a point in Jordan Rodriguez's story where she said that basically he hired his new running backs coach this year after a 15-minute telephone conversation. So by the end of this year, I think McVay had started to think to himself, you know, maybe I make mistakes when I act impetuously, <laughs> you know, and He got rid of a lot of coaches this year, or by mutual agreement. You know, I had heard during the season that the Liam Cohen experiment as offensive coordinator was miserable. And that was part of the problem. And then Liam Cohen, you know, wanted to uh, have a little bit of a life as well as to be a football coach. So we went back to Kentucky. But he wasn't the only one, whatever, however many changes they made on the coaching staff, six or eight coaches. So now McVay, you know, has done it with his quarterback and he's done it with his coaching staff. And I think Sean McVay, I think, has to realize right now, look, he's happy to be back. I legitimately think he's happy to be back. They are very happy to have him. There's nobody inside that organization who thinks, rolling eyes oh my god what is mcveigh gonna want next and all that but he understands that he can't act as impetuously as he has at times in the past so i think all of that means this is a really important year for his not necessarily for his coaching future like that he's never going to coach again i firmly believe he will not be john madden who walked away at 40-whatever and never came back. Even like Bill Cowher, who walked away at whatever it was, 49 or 50, and never came back, and we kept waiting for him to come back. I think he will coach, even if he stops coaching after this year, he'll return to coaching at some point. He's just too young. It's amazing. He's still the youngest head coach in the NFL. So to me, this is an important season for McVay but also because he realizes that, hey, impetuousness is great. It wins you a Super Bowl, all that stuff. But there's also a downside to it.
1: Yeah, it's like the, the, the mess at your house the morning after you have a huge party. It's got to be cleaned up. And sometimes yeah. it takes more than just a mop and a bucket to clean it up and sometimes it takes a long time to get it back to where it was before and think about if they hadn't won that super bowl think about the accountability that may have been meted out from the top of the organization because they went all in and it worked but there still was a huge invoice on the back end that they are still suffering through
0: around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day
1: The Seahawks were supposed to suffer through a bad year in 2022. They didn't. They made it to the postseason, and yeah, it was one and done, but nobody expected them to get to the playoffs. Nobody expected them to be above 500. They finished 9-8. and eight. They rewarded Geno Smith, who started all 17 regular season games for the Seattle Seahawks. But there has been chatter from Coach Pete Carroll. Whether it's posturing for a trade-out or not, he has openly spoken about the possibility of taking quarterback with the fifth overall pick in the draft. Here's Geno Smith from the press conference on Thursday regarding the possibility that the Seahawks will do just that.
2: The young quarterback were to be drafted, would you view that as a competition, as a mentorship opportunity? How would you see that? I'll say it's both. You know, uh, I love to compete, so I I compete with anybody. But um, I'm also going to, you know, help him out as much as I can, the same as, you know, we did with Drew. And our our QB room is so tight-knit, and we're all so connected that we, we act as one. And so whether it's a young guy or someone else, I'm going to help that player just like any other player on our team be the best that he can be, you know, because that's my job as a leader. And that's who I am at heart. You know, I'm never going to withhold information. I'm always going to try and help guys get better. And so that's what I want to do. And if that happens, then that's the guy I'll be.
1: It's the right attitude. It's not easy to do. It's easy to say. It's harder to do. I'm not saying he won't do it. But when you're the guy that, you believe has earned a spot as the starter for more than a year or two and they go out and draft a quarterback with the fifth overall pick and all of a sudden you're holding the job for maybe one more year at the most maybe hard to process and you know the bottom line peter we heard three years 105 million the other day which is the ritual as it relates to the leaking of information by agents to reporters who rush to twitter without ever asking is this really what it is is this the real number is this the truth if you pause someone else tweets it before you and gets the credit for it. So it doesn't matter if it's not the truth, and I think they all recognize it as an occupational hazard. Bottom line is this. Three years 105 is actually one year 28. And after this year, the Seahawks can move on if they want to. Or it's two years 50, or three years 75. He's got incentives that he will earn if he exceeds what he did last year in one or more of five statistical categories, so he can make more than that. It's not incentives. It's escalators. It pushes up next year's salary, and the reality is he could hit all of them this year. He could bump his pay next year by $15 million. They could still cut him after one year $28 million. That's the thing to remember, and it's not as crazy as it used to be because that's exactly what the Raiders did to Derek Carr. After we heard last year, oh, $40.5 million per year, $40.5 million per year, he got $25 million and a pink slip. That's what happened, and that's what could happen to Geno Smith, especially Peter
3: King, if they use that fifth overall pick on a quarterback. Well, here's the interesting thing I think we found in the last week or so, Mike. That is that if you look at—I've I've been saying this for, for months, really. I said, whatever happened to the middle class of quarterbacks? It's like it's nonexistent. Either you make 40 or more, or you make eight. I mean, there's just, and I'm exaggerating, obviously, but there was not a middle class for quarterbacks where you say, there's nobody in his right mind who's going to say that Geno Smith should be making what Patrick Mahomes makes, obviously. And, you know, but, but the NFL, to me, had overpaid a lot of guys that our teams had overpaid a lot of guys who were good quarterbacks, but we don't know if they're great yet. And so to me, the the Derek Carr contract in New Orleans, the Geno Smith contract in Seattle, uh, and probably we'll see what the real money is with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, You know, I don't know. It's probably going to be a little bit more than both of those guys, I would think. But the bottom line in this is, I think there's a little bit of quarterback sanity returning to the market, um, especially. I thought the Derek Carr contract was interesting because, as you know, Mike, and you wrote about it, it's not four years, hundred and fifty; it's three years, one hundred. Because essentially, the fifty million dollars in year four is totally unguaranteed. It could you you could have put ninety million in year four. What does it matter? It doesn't matter because it's like that weird Taysom Hill contract that Mickey Loomis did, I don't know, a year or two ago where it was a jillion dollars, but everybody knew it wasn't a jillion dollars. And so to me, I think that what we're going to see is just a little bit more sanity on the quarterback coach front or quarterback uh, contract front, but not obviously as it applies to uh, burrow herbert and, L- and lamar jackson you wouldn't think and here's the other reality too because geno
1: smith could have refused to sign a deal with the seahawks and forced them to choose between applying the franchise tag or letting him become a free agent and hey 32.4 million is better than 28 million why not do that what happens in advance of this for the agents who do a good job by their clients even though the teams involved in those conversations are violating the tampering rules that happens all the time the agent has to go find out what's behind door number two it becomes yeah. a lot easier to take the seahawks deal which may not be what you had hoped for after becoming comeback player of the year and completing 69.8 percent of your passes and throwing for 4200 plus yards it may not be what you thought you were going to get but it still may be better than what interest may be out there elsewhere and that's the reality. I didn't hear that there was any other team that was lurking in the weeds waiting for the opportunity to pounce on Geno Smith and give him $40 million a year. It just wasn't there because it's one season. And, and I, I don't want to take away from a great season, but it's just like Daniel Jones. What investment are you going to make in a guy who had one great season? And, hey, the Giants at the end of the day go – million, and that's still a deal that can be escaped after two years, 82. They can walk away. But um, how much of an investment do you make when you don't have the track record? And I think if Geno Smith's agent did the job the right way, he knew exactly what else was out there or not out there when he took that deal. And you're right, Peter. This is where that middle class may start to emerge. You can't have guys making 50, 55 million, and then this glaring aberration of Patrick Mahomes at 45. And have lesser quarterbacks in the 40s and near 45. You just It just can't happen. And that's what will make it fascinating. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts. Where do they land on this, this accordion that's starting to get stretched at the quarterback position?
3: I think the other interesting thing that's going to happen this offseason, Mike, is the discussion of guaranteed money, um, which I think for most quarterbacks – I would say, with the exception of Lamar Jackson, uh, and we can talk about that when we talk about Lamar Jackson. But to me, the if, if I'm if I'm Mike Brown, if I'm Dean Spanos, if I'm Jeffrey Lurie, I understand that I'm going to really tick off the other owners in the league and management council and all that. But in my opinion, the guaranteed money for Uh, Joe Burrow and for um, Justin Herbert in particular. In the last two years, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, neither of these players, despite getting banged around a lot and Justin Herbert with his ribs, neither of these players um, has missed any significant time because of injury. And so if you have to give out big guarantees to those guys First of all, what's the problem with guarantees? There's two problems. Number one, uh, the NFL doesn't want to give out total guarantees on contracts for obvious reasons. It sets a precedent, players get hurt, blah, blah, blah. But the other, the second thing is, as you know, and we've talked about it on this show, is the fact that if Joe Burrow is signed to a contract for $250 million guaranteed by Mike Brown and the Bengals, they have to put in... Into escrow, some gigantic money, like depending on how it's structured, let's say $180 million into escrow. Mike Brown, it's a family-run team. I'm not saying they can't find $180 million. They can find $180 million. However, what do you do when Jamar Chase comes up? What do you do now when you have to figure out what to do with T. Higgins? What do you do when you've got other great players who you have to take care of? The Bengals don't have three or four hundred million dollars to put in escrow to pay most or all of their great players, guaranteed contracts. That is the biggest issue by far. Um, and so but to me, is there any question to you? I mean, if the Bengals gave Burrow a four year 200 million dollar contract, they're not cutting them in the next four years. So however you term the money, you know, guaranteed, whatever it is, Joe Burrow is going to be on your team for the next four years. And, and so that, to me, is one of the great kind of vagaries of this entire problem. Many quarterbacks, you can say, they deserve full, full or almost full guarantees, you know, and I'd be a lot more willing to give Jalen Hurts more guaranteed money right now than I would be Lamar Jackson because of Lamar Jackson's injury history. But again, there are other issues other than simply saying that the contract is guaranteed.
1: I remember having a conversation with a prominent agent several years ago as it relates to quarterback contracts, and the reality is, and I think, Joe Burrow is in this category. Justin Herbert will be in the category. Jalen Hurts, to a certain extent. You don't need to have guaranteed contracts for quarterbacks because they never get cut prematurely. Teams... there Now, the, the the pendulum has moved from what it used to be because what it used to be was when you had a guy who was just on the right side of the pass-fail line, you never got rid of him. We have seen over recent years teams more and more willing to move on from guys who were just good enough in the hopes of getting a guy who would be just great enough. But not long ago, the approach was you sign the quarterback to the long-term deal and he's going to cash every check. He's going to make every penny. It's going to become a team-friendly deal on the back end. Aaron Rodgers used to do six-year deals and there was never talk about, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, Packers better think about whether or not they're going to continue this contract is not guaranteed they can get out of it. And I think, Peter, with the proliferation of mobile quarterbacks who run horizontally and vertically, put themselves in harm's way greater than the traditional pocket quarterback, that's where guaranteed contracts become more important because there is a greater chance of missed time. There is a greater chance of serious injury. There's a greater chance you're going to have your hands tied by a guaranteed contract that you would rather get out of if you can. And the, the funding rule, it really is the other part of it. The funding rule is a vestige of the days when the owners didn't have the money they have today and there was concern that these players with guaranteed contact, tra- contracts excuse me, were going to get stiffed. That's not a concern now. They all have the money to pay these contracts, but the NFL refuses to let go of the funding rule because that provides the easy justification for the ongoing collusion when it comes to the refusal to give guaranteed contracts. So I don't think Herbert needs one. I don't think Burrow needs one. Jalen Hurts needs one a little bit more than those guys, but not like Lamar Jackson. The reason Lamar Jackson's trying to get one is because of his playing style, the way the Ravens use him. They don't have to use him the way they use him. They use him in a way that puts him at greater risk. So it really isn't all that unreasonable when you think about it for him to want protection that
3: if he was a pocket passer he wouldn't need. And and I think there's there's going to be all of these issues especially now because so many marquee quarterbacks are due for new contracts. I mean, if you have four of the top 10 quarterbacks in one off-season that either are going to get done or are eligible to get done for long-term contracts it's really it becomes a really big deal. Remember how for like 2 years it was just Dak Prescott constantly these guys are going to kind of divvy up the headlines. The one thing the one reason why in other than in the case of Lamar Jackson why I don't really care about it that much is that Jalen Hurts is going to quarterback the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Joe Burrow is going to quarterback the Bengals and Justin Herbert is going to quarterback the Chargers. The only one that has some significant doubt is Lamar Jackson. And that's why, I mean, the one thing that's changed in 39 years covering the NFL, at least for me, is that this ceaseless discussion of contracts, it just never ends. And I don't really have a lot of interest in it. And I understand it's a part of the game and people, I guess, are interested in it, but... I mean, I think I'll show you I my traffic
1: numbers. Be, I'll show you, I'll show you I yeah. can prove it to you that they are. Yeah. It, I give the people what they it's want. It's
3: fine. It's fine. It's fine and you should if that's what people care about. I don't. And I care about football. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just it's it, it just to me it's so much palaver. Why would anybody care really if you love Bing, the baby? There it is. There is it there is. Is there any danger? SAT is, words. Is there, 40 minutes in. Palabra. palabra. Sorry. Listen, listen, listen. Is, is there any, Mike, is, is there any scenario that you think Joe Burrow will not be the quarterback of the Bengals opening day, barring an injury? In 2023?
1: No, there's no scenario. Long term? Right. right. I, I, I think the
3: jury is I think still maybe sort of maybe. out. Yeah.
1: Right? We know. We know what happened three years ago. We know yeah, yeah. that if he was from Athens, Georgia, and not Athens, Ohio, he would have told the Bengals to uh,
3: uh, might have Draft told someone the else. I but was there looking. There would have been a lot. Might have. Might have. There would have been a right. lot better chance. Yes. Right. I get yeah. that. You're absolutely yeah. right. But anyway, my yeah. only point is there's really no chance he's not going to be the quarterback of the Bengals opening day this year. Okay. And yet, Correct. We will be bombarded. We will be bombarded. With four hundred and ninety-two thousand contract stories about Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert between now and Labor Day weekend, it just—I have Correct. zero interest. I won't read well, a single one of them. I don't care. But see, Peter, Peter, here's—I'm going to—I'm not necessarily
1: trying to persuade you to care because if you don't care, you just you won't don't be caring. able to. I don't care if you don't. <laughs> I don't care if you don't care. But my point is this: as we have more and more of these quarterbacks landing on this spectrum. I mean, what fascinates me is where should they fit? What will they do to the bar? What will it do to other teams in the future? I think it's a far more important than you're giving it credit for. A far more important point because how are teams going to be able to build their rosters how do you balance it out i mean you're making the case for middle of the road and middle of the road allows teams to go out and spend money on other good players you get a quarterback that's determined to make more money than anybody else or a team that does a contract like the matthew stafford deal that puts them in a spot where any move they make is going to be cap hell that's where it becomes fascinating as these newer quarterbacks get their contracts where will those darts land on the board and what will it do to the team's ability to be competitive and then what precedent does that set for the next guy's contract? That's why I think it's, it's fascinating because it goes to the heart of the quality of the
3: team that's going to be around these quarterbacks. It's all monopoly money. If Joe Burrow is going to make a contract that averages, let's pick a number out of the sky, $53 million a year. Let's just say five years, $53 million. Maybe they add a couple of phony years for cap purposes onto the end. Okay, so the first couple of years are going to be low. That's the way contracts are done these days. Mega contracts, always the first couple of years are low. They'll figure it out. And then starting in about 2026 or whatever it'll be, maybe 2025, then you're going to start to get, okay, 50 million, 58 million, 63 million, all that stuff. And look... The salary cap is probably going to eat it up the same way that the salary cap does now. And you know why I call it monopoly money? Because Joe Burrow's contract probably on average will will be about, I'm gonna guess, 17 or 18 percent of the Bengals' salary cap over the next five or six years. Let's just say. What do you think Peyton Manning's was? About 17 or 18%. Now Brady's was less because Brady took less money and he's probably going to be the only quarterback of our lifetime who consistently took less money most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time to play. But the fact is 17% of the cap is 17% of the cap. If the cap is going to be 290 million and you know 17% of 290 million still leaves you whatever the number is uh you know 230 million dollars to build your roster if you can't do that go go be a gm in the XFL
1: right peter but the fact that tom brady consistently took less than he could have and should have gotten contributed to all those super bowls he won and we have a guy named patrick mahomes who is already on that that's track the point. with the ultra long term deal i know that's, that's why it's point. so fascinating Is Joe Burrow going to go 53 or 43? Is he going to lock in for 10 years at low money and give maximum flexibility to Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor to go out there and have great players around him? Or is he going to take the Peyton Manning approach where it's my job to get paid as much as I can. It's your job to manage the salary cap. That's why these person by person, player by player, the uniquely individual mindset that applies. What's important? Are you, and, and look, I always say get paid what you can while you can because the moment they decide you're not good enough is the moment they're not paying you anything. But are you concerned about your legacy? Are you concerned about how many Super Bowls you can win? And if you're the one guy in Patrick Mahomes that is willing to consistently take less when everyone else is being pig at the trough, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. That's just the metaphor I chose to use. Then Mahomes is going to benefit from it. And Mahomes is going to win more Super Bowls. And at the end of the day, it puts him on track to catch Tom Brady, the guy who was the
3: one who consistently took far less. And what it did and by him question, consistently taking and, far less. Go ahead. And the question is, the question is, I had this put to me, this was 20, almost 20 years ago. This was in this was Brady was doing his second contract. As somebody who knew Brady told me, he goes, hey, listen, why wouldn't Tom do this? And I said, Well, okay, he wants to win. He said, but wait a minute, wait a minute. You have to think of something. Think of something. Tom's got a couple of Super Bowls now. If you've won a couple of Super Bowls, you're young, you're handsome, you're, you know, everybody loves you. Uh, If you've won a couple of Super Bowls and you're Tom Brady, you know, you can go somewhere and sign footballs for three hours and make a million bucks. Or, Or maybe not a million, I'm exaggerating. But whatever it is, you you can make a boatload of money off the field easily so and this is something that look this is the way i would be okay because if i play this game i would want to win desperately and i would want because like look in my job mike i i, I want to win on mondays and when i write my column I want to write stuff on Mondays that nobody else has, that nobody, that, that I'm going to have stuff that no, so, and it's a very competitive business. I want to win. So, and I don't particularly care. I, I mean, I'm very well compensated. And I'm not given a dime back. I, I get that. I get that. But my whole point is, if you're a quarterback and you're mega famous and you can make a jillion dollars off the field, just, just answer this question. I'd love to hear your thought. But if you knew that you had a smart general manager like Brett Veach, if you knew you had a smart coach like Andy Reid, if you trusted the scouts and the and the guys who, who work for your team and your coaches and knew that if I'm not a pig at the trough, they're going to be able to build a better team, and I can go out and make all these other marketing deals and make probably $15 million off the field by doing pretty minimal work in the off season. Why wouldn't you do that? That's That's, that's my only question about all this.
1: See, I think you're far more interested in this dynamic than you'll admit. Because that's the question and you look around the league and you do have guys that don't care about that. You have guys that want to get maximum compensation. Daniel Jones and his agents were trying to get 45 million plus per year from the Giants. What's that going to do to the effort of Daniel Jones and the Giants to go win Super Bowls? now at the end of the day, it was far less and maybe they were just posturing to get the best possible deal. But when you look at it, Peter, they're paying him 10 more million more per uh, total. $10 million total over the next two years than they would have paid him under two years of the franchise tag. So there's a premium that was being paid here. He got more than what the Giants could have given him if they just would have gone tag and tag in 23 and 24. So that's the balance. How much more do you want than enough, whatever enough is? And that's the age-old question. How much is enough? Countering that is the reality that every dime you leave on the table is another dime that stays in the coffers of ownership. Maybe they'll spend them all. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll be devoted to the next generation super yacht that the owner is floating around the Mediterranean on. That's the other side of it. The money's there. How much of it am I going to insist on? How much of it am I going to leave behind for my teammates? And how much of it is going to be siphoned off as raw profit by the owner. That's the one part that never gets discussed. We assume that all the money that Patrick Mahomes leaves behind is going to get reinvested in the roster. I think for some of these teams, anybody that's not spending up to the cap, anybody that's carrying a $100 million cap space bulge, that money's already been jammed into someone's pockets. The question is, is that money coming back out? So, yeah, I I guess to answer your question... I'd be fine with taking less as long as I knew that every single penny I left behind would be spent on other players.
3: And you would know that, Mike. You would know that very simply. All you would have to do is tell your agent, look, I'm not, I'm not going to study over the cap every month. I don't care. okay? But your job is to tell me. Let's say we've signed a, a four-year deal. And I'm a great player and I'm a superstar. And my next contract comes up and I'm 30 years old. Okay? If you tell me they uh, did not spend the cap in three of these four years and they saved this money, they blah, 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 blah. Whatever. If I find out, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you or whatever that cliche is. But I'm not believing it again. So this time... I'm not playing for a dime less than my full market value. But I'm going to give my team, if I trust my team, I'm going to give them the chance to be honorable about it and to say, we'll spend to the cap. And then I'm going, to, I'm going to see if you spend to the cap.
1: I think the proper articulation of that cliche is, fool me once, shame on, shame on You. Fool me. Can't get fooled again. Yes. I think that if fool, you, find, no, if you twice, that on
3: YouTube, shame
1: on me. I That's right. I know. I know. Right. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was yeah, being yeah. a, I was being a smart ass yeah. because a One certain man, the chief once butchered it. Fool me. Can't get fooled again. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, all right. On the issue of having an agent who could go out and monitor the cap spending. That's just another thing that an agent can do over and above simply trading emails with the general manager. Lamar Jackson not having an agent has complicated his ability to get a deal done with the Ravens or possibly anybody else. We'll get Peter's thoughts on the story of the week, non-exclusive tag for Lamar Jackson and a parade of teams not interested in talking to him. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this.